to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Murder, murder. This week, we're re-releasing our episode one of season two. It's called A Cult of One, Larry Ray and the Sarah Lawrence Sex Cult. So this is part one of a two-part series. So why don't you tell us about part two, Laura? In part two, we interview Daniel Barbin Levin, a survivor of Larry Ray's, about his upcoming book, Slonem Woods Nine. Enjoy and stay tuned for episode two. Welcome back, everybody. We are very happy to be here again, and we have a great case for you today. And we also have the honor of having Olivia Snake with us to talk about this case. So can you introduce yourself, Olivia? Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here and that you reached out to me so I get to talk about cults, which I love. and anything involving true crime. And that's kind of the niche I'm in. So this is right up my alley. Olivia, you are on TikTok and you have a lot of followers on TikTok and you release several videos a week. I love covering 60 second videos and that's how I've started on TikTok, grown on TikTok. It's really a good area to be in. And I met a lot of wonderful people in that niche as well. Fantastic. And how do our listeners find you on TikTok? So on TikTok and Instagram, my handle is live on the edge and that's live with two V's. And I think that's me on every platform. So if not Olivia Snake, I'll probably come up on all of those as well. And definitely check it out. I mean, I've been binging and it is like, I mean, it, it, it's just like, you can't stop once you start. You, you have You're some amazing. amazing cases on there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like you take a deep dive there and it's the next thing I know, it's like two hours later. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> every time I get on TikTok, that's the hardest part is when you post, you also start looking on just the For You page and then you're sucked in. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you are my introduction to TikTok and it's a great introduction. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we are we are just delighted to have you, Olivia, and to get you for more than 60 seconds. That's the best part <laughs> of the podcast now is I actually get to talk longer than a minute. So yes. <laughs> Well, fantastic. Let's get to the case, guys. So this week, our case is called A Cult of One, Sarah Lawrence College and Larry Ray. So whether you're thinking about going to college, are in college, or like us, have already been. Talking about me and Laura here. Olivia, you're in college, right? You're in college, right? No, I have graduated. You have graduated. Okay, okay. So you are in. Okay, so we've all already been. past that, thankfully. And we've all gotten out without joining a cult, so. Well, that, okay. <laughs> How would you have felt, okay, if your 50-year-old dad moved into your dorm room? Um, no thanks. Well, that's exactly what Lawrence B. Ray did. In September of 2010, Larry Ray, just out of prison, moved in with his daughter Talia 
and her roommates into Slonim Woods 9, which is a drab, quote, purpose-built dorm on the Sarah Lawrence campus. Ray made the roommates steak dinners, cleaned up after them, screened movies, and regaled them with interesting half-truths about his life. At night, he would crash on an air mattress on his daughter's floor. Hmm, thanks, Dad. This newly fashioned dorm dad didn't initially raise any eyebrows with the roommates or the college. Why his daughter Talia, or Sarah Lawrence College for that matter, allowed him to stay? Well, that's a whole other question, which we'll get into a little later. So as always on Ivy League Murders, we talk about the institution in question. So established in 1926 as a liberal arts college, Sarah Lawrence is a few miles from Manhattan, and yet it has sort of a bucolic air to its campus. So Sarah Lawrence is one of the sister schools to the Ivy League, which Laura always has a good explanation for. So Harvard didn't take women until about 1920, and many colleges didn't until the mid 1900s. So the sister schools were set up really to be the academic elite for women. Yeah, exactly. So there are seven sister schools, and these are really the the elite for the women's colleges. And Sarah Lawrence is one of them. And it's in Bronxville. It's about 30 minutes from Manhattan. Very close. It's really close to Manhattan. I didn't realize how close it was. And oh, my God, I looked at the alumni, you guys, for (laughs) Sarah Lawrence College. I'm so impressed by this. I'm so impressed because it's all like, okay, first of all, Sigourney Weaver, from Alien and Aliens. I mean, it's our favorite you'll movie. rest my, you know, <laughs> please. You know, I love it. Also, Jordan Peele, who made Get Out. That's one of my, like, favorite recent horror films. Holy moly. And then this I absolutely loved. Carrie Fisher went to Sarah Lawrence, but she didn't graduate. You know why? She was filming the original Star Wars, so she had to drop out of Sarah Lawrence. I just think that's so cool. So Sarah Lawrence was an all-women's school. It's now... women, 25% men. If you look up the alumni, you would think it's 75% men because they list more men than women as famous alumni. I know, but can I mention- Which I have an issue with. I have to mention- feminist school. (laughs) All right, but I have have to mention one more alumni, which I absolutely love. Is it a man? You know what? Just leave it alone. (laughs) I don't know why they- You look up the alumni for this this famous woman's school and it's like all men. Maybe they're trying to get more men to join. They actually are. I, I actually have a family friend who went there and her brother went on like a full scholarship. Any guys out there listening of college age, you can get good scholarships to Sarah Lawrence because they do want men to go there. They want dudes. They want- okay. One of my faves is Peter Gould, who produced Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And to get back to the case, seriously, <laughs> like our subject, Larry Ray, he seems like plucked right out of the cast of Better Call Saul. Like he's a kind of an odd looking guy, I got to tell you, and a very unlikely sex cult Svengali, but (laughs) we'll get into that. So, well, aren't they all, Sarah? Have you ever seen a really like sexy sex cult leader? Sure. I haven't seen a sexy sex cult leader yet. I don't know if I've seen a sexy one. I've seen ones that I'm like, you look like a cult leader. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I haven't really yet to see one who I'm like, that's a sex cult guy. Like they all look creepy. Even the yoga guy was like, "Eh, not really. Like like Manson. I mean, he was an unlikely sex cult leader. Yeah, it's true. Probably have to build up their charm because they're not traditionally attractive. And then that's what allows them to 
yes. work on people. And you're like, why am I following this man? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, That's L. Right. Ron Hubbard has like the most disgusting teeth you could ever, I mean, crazy. <laughs> Yeah, or at least well, we know is... you wouldn't get in a cult for those reasons. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll revisit that subject. Who is Larry Ray? He was born Lawrence Greco in 1958 in Brooklyn, New York. And Larry Ray was really a born talker. And nobody really seems to know what he did for a living. He always seemed to have money and knew everybody. He was a consummate con man. And somehow he managed to just insert himself everywhere, kind of in the New York scene. So he was a high school graduate who had only served 19 days in the Air Force, but he managed to convince people that he had a long and heroic record as a Marine. So his next stop was Wall Street, where he began to make connections that would serve him well. Larry's greatest ability was as a collector and a connector of people. He would later become a consultant and fundraiser and a lobbyist. And these were careers that allowed him to capitalize on his skills. Do you which... notice these are all like bullshit careers, bullshitter careers, <laughs> Wall Street lobbyist. I mean, none, these are all like career fundraiser. I mean, these are all just like careers yes. where you're like, what do you really do? That's true. But, you know, you got to, he really did have a good ability to blend the truth with a lot of lies, like a lot of good con men. And he really did know a lot of influential people. So tell us a little bit about that, Laura. This is kind of the gift that he had. He was really able to insert himself in the lives of really important people. And so it kind of took him out of the realm of being kind of, I don't want to say a nobody because I don't think any of us are nobodies, but just being you know any other New Yorker one of the most important ways he did this was he developed a friendship with Bernard Carrick. And I don't know if you know who Bernard Carrick is, Olivia, but those of us from the Northeast, or I, I lived in New York for a long time. He was a big figure in New York, especially around 9-11. He started out as Rudy Giuliani's driver and wound up being the commissioner of police. Big figure around 9-11. I lived in Manhattan at that time very well known around New York. And he became friends with him. He was actually the best man at his wedding. And this is like a very weird, bizarre friendship. And he really latches on to Carrick and has this friendship with him. And he travels to Russia and becomes friends with a translator to Gorbachev and like later helps Gorbachev meet Giuliani. I mean- And Robert De Niro. And Robert. Like weird. he's just- (laughs) He's just kind of like on the periphery of all these famous people. Well, he is. He's like a connector of people. He later buys into a restaurant called the Malibu, which is kind of a mob hangout, which also kind of puts him at the center of things. He has a meeting with Peter Gation. I'm not sure if you know who Peter Gation is. Oh, explain Uh, this, because this is really fun. This is like, um, uh, this is total like New York 90s. Yes, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Michael Alec. Are you familiar with Michael Alec, Olivia? Party Monster. Did you see the movie Party Monster? No. About the club kids. Oh, the club kids. Wait, I think I've heard a true crime story on them. So in the 90s, there were club kids in New York. It was a, it, the tunnel at Limelight. This was a big scene in New York and Manhattan. And Peter Gation owned all these clubs. A lot of drugs, a lot. It was a big scene. They dressed up really over the top. And then Michael Alec was like the, basically the king of the club kids. There was a murder that occurred. Michael Alec actually 
committed this murder. He wound up going to jail. He killed a drug dealer. He killed a drug dealer. Larry Ray to say that he was meeting with Peter Gation to maybe buy his clubs. It's like me saying, I'm going to go see about buying like the Prudential. It's just, you know, Boston, it's like ridiculous. Peter Gation is like a comic book villain. He wears an eye patch. It, but it's hard to tell with Larry how much of this is BS and how much was real. I mean, but some yeah. some of it is real. You got to give right. it to him. He you may know? have, you know, I think he did have a meter with Peter Gation. Uh, he ties in just enough truth that you're like, maybe more of it's real. Right. <laughs> yeah. He probably knew people life. who knew Peter Gation. He was in that nightlife scene. You should just, anyone out there, definitely check out uh, Macaulay Culkin plays Michael Alec in the movie. Kind of campy, not the best movie. Also a book called Party Monster. Awesome, great documentaries on that time. One of them is called The Life and Times, I think, of Michael Alec. Okay, Laura, you're going to have to come out of the 90s <laughs> in New York and present day. No. Uh, but yes, he did. So anyway, I mean, there was just enough truth. Eventually, Larry winds up getting in some trouble. And things go south with Carrick. So Carrick's career is like taking off. Well, first what happens is... Larry gets in some trouble with this pump and dump scheme. Yes. That's and right. he reaches out to Carrick to help him out of this jam. And Carrick says, basically, I can't help, help you. you at this point in my career. And with, I can't help you. And this ignites a huge resentment that will carry over and still exists today. And, and this will end the sever the friendship and will begin this resentment where Larry, from this point on to today, will blame all of his woes on Carrick. Right. Exactly. And Soon after, Carrick's career will go down in flame when a lot of things like the fact that his wedding was paid for by Larry Ray, that he re received large cash donations, that he had an illegal citizen working for him as a housekeeper, all this became public knowledge. So these are all accusations that Larry is making against Carrick. And Carrick would later serve two years in federal prison for these charges. Yeah, exactly. That's the context of his end of his friendship and some of these massive truths and lies that he told. But Larry also has domestic problems with his wife. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so he's married. He has two daughters. He's, you know, always having affairs, constantly. Having, I mean, this is not a, a loyal man. When they're getting divorced, there's a huge custody case. In this custody case, he makes up all kinds of lies about his ex-wife and he coaxes the daughters into lying about the ex-wife and her abusing the children and of her abusing the children and this is all proven to be untrue he actually ends up going to jail for contempt of court he winds up going to jail for this hey laura if our listeners want to support our podcast what can they do you can go to our website at clovercrestmedia.com where we have merchandise, a donate button, and all of the books we talk about. We also can be found at buymeacoffee.com, and we would love any input or suggestions from our listeners. And we can be reached by email at ivyleaguemurders at gmail.com. And very importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star review. We really appreciate all the support we've gotten so far. His daughter, Talia, is very faithful to the father. She tells the line, the story, and instead of 
living with her mother, she opts for living in group homes instead, and then ends up still getting into Sarah Lawrence College. So, Which is cut, pretty impressive. It is pretty <laughs> impressive. So cut to 2010, Talia is in Sarah Lawrence, and Larry is just getting out of jail. So Larry moves in with Talia and her roommates at Sarah Lawrence. So we should explain that when I first heard about this case, I was like, how the hell did this happen? This dad is moving in with a bunch of roommates in a dorm room, like what in God's name? But what you have to understand is where Talia was living with her other seven roommates, it's kind of like an independent house in the middle of the woods. It's isolated from the rest of the campus. There's like four bedrooms on top, four bedrooms on the bottom with a common room. And it's separate from other places. So this is the house that Larry moves in. And can I also interject that Sarah Lawrence is the most or one of the most expensive liberal arts colleges in the United States. It's $73,000 a year to go to Sarah Lawrence. So it's a big price Just to set the scene for what's going to happen next. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Olivia, how would you feel when you were at college if a 50-year-old man moved in? I would be pretty concerned. (laughs) I would be like, why doesn't the student move out with their father? If that, like, if they want to be close, that's fine. I think you could probably get that. Especially if you're already living off campus, it's just, just move in together. Don't, don't have your friends there. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't be in college if you want to be with your parents and that close. I really do think Talia was very sympathetic to her father, really felt like he had been sort of victimized by the whole system. She was sort of his first true believer. And also the other thing is, Laura made a really good point before we were recording. Talia was a little bit older than her other roommates. and she Two was, years older. Yeah, two years older. And she was kind of like, I think a bit like her father in the way she was a bit of like a social alpha, kind of a queen bee. And like I said, she was a real big advocate for her dad. She would describe him as a truth teller. And that's what she would tell anybody who would listen to her about her like brave, heroic dad. I think so, if anyone in life tells you they're a truth teller, you should just stay away from them. Yeah, that's right. So when her creepy. So when her dear dad moved into her isolated dorm on the Sarah Lawrence campus, she really greased the wheels for her father's stay. And really, Talia's roommates were like perfect fodder for somebody like Larry. I think he really had a dark charisma. And the fact that he had such sway with actually pretty big influential people like Carrick, I think it says something about who Larry Ray is. If you think about it, so he's moving into this like collective of college students who all were sort of like trying to find themselves that some of them had depression, some of them had attempted suicide. They were kind of like, I really do feel like it was kind of like a perfect situation for him to move into. Someone like him who wants to manipulate. They were a vulnerable group. Very vulnerable. There were several suicide attempts in the past. But the weirdest part to me, so he first moves into Talia's room and like sleeps on an air mattress. I don't know. Whatever, man. But I can't imagine. I didn't even answer phone calls from my parents when I was in college. <laughs> I can't imagine wanting them like sleeping in my room. It's a very strange dynamic. It's essentially your house and then your parent comes and lives with it. It throws off the parent-child relationship. And then there's points where he seems to have money and 
wealth or influence, but then you're also living at your kid's house. Like those two things don't make any sense together. That's a good yeah. point, right? Yeah. It's like, he's there boasting about how much he has. And then it's like, so why are you sleeping on the floor, dad? Yeah. <laughs> why are you on an air mattress? <laughs> oh right. But he was also right. like, he was also like cooking them dinner and airing movies and kind of like cleaning up the dorm. So yeah. I can sort of see, sort of, I guess. But the weird thing is, then he starts sleeping in Isabella's room. And Isabella is Talia's best friend. And starts to play this like weird, like father slash lover role with Isabella, which is so odd. He, I don't know. I'm 50 years old and like I would have like zero desire to be anywhere near a dorm room. No. <laughs> I, just, I know, but some parents like camp out. I know? could almost see it being like in sororities and fraternities, how they have house parents and they are there. They'll help organize things. They're kind of like a guiding figure and a little bit of. Sure. Yeah, but that's not their kids, right? That's not their there's, kids. A, there's a boundary, a separation there. That's the only thing I could compare it to is like, oh, at first, like maybe that's what it feels like is you just have this adult figure there and it's kind of nice and yeah. something went wrong. They would probably know how to handle it because in college, there's kids who don't even know how to do their own laundry when right. they yes. go away. So that's true. It might feel like that, but then from there it just loses all semblance. And I think it's interesting to note that Sarah Lawrence has a very different dynamic than a lot of other colleges. I don't know what the dynamic was at your college, maybe probably more mainstream and like ours, but Sarah Lawrence is not a very social school. There's no majors. There's no majors? No, (laughs) there's no majors. And so you don't take classes with the same people. You take like three different sections It's kind of an isolating setup for a lot of people. Larry starts sleeping in Isabella's room. Okay. I I just have to, we have to discuss this. I know, but I'm just trying to create the environment that, 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 that this is not a regular, like, someone coming to sleep in the floor it, it's just kind of a, it is a weird a little bit off environment sort of oh that's true all right but i do have to explain a little bit about isabella so <laughs> over the winter break right larry secures this apartment on 93rd street in manhattan and so larry calls isabella's parents and tells them she was sexually abused as a child she can't go home She won't be coming home for school break. If she goes home, she would commit suicide. And this is really the first like classic cult move of separating the victim from their family. So instead of going home, Isabella stays with Larry in New York, as well as some of the other roommates over the winter break. Larry really slowly starts taking over and brainwashing the roommates by sort of playing a unlicensed therapist. So he also tried to get Talia's boyfriend to stop taking his antipsychotic medication. Never a good idea. This guy, the boyfriend, was so weirded out by Larry, he broke up with Talia. Like, apparently, the boyfriend walks in on Larry, stroking Isabella's hair, saying, I'm going to take care of you, baby. The boyfriend's like, okay, I'm out of here. Good Uh, for him. So then Larry moves back to Sarah Lawrence after the winter break. But he's retained this other apartment, so... Can we talk about Sarah Lawrence more? No, (laughs) we can't. Can we talk about the fact that Sarah Lawrence allowed this to go on for so long? I think that's a pretty big issue. I think it's a a huge issue. I think it's a huge issue because 
they were alerted to this. And to this day, you don't know what happened. The, the dean of students, whose last name is Green, received an email from one of the roommates, Claudia, outlining what was happening. And no action was taken. He also received complaints from several of the parents. He clearly knew it was going on, and he just said, I can't prevent parents from visiting their children. Now, Sarah Lawrence has taken great pains to make it clear, like, none of the criminal activity happened at Sarah Lawrence. This all happened in New York and other states subsequently after. But, yeah. I have a theory on this, and that that's that Sarah Lawrence has paid our huge settlements to all these families because I searched, and there's no lawsuits. So I assume Probably that been, yes. <laughs> I assume that there would be huge lawsuits that all these families would have massively sued Sarah Lawrence and they I can't find those lawsuits. So I assume Sarah Lawrence just made huge settlements with these families and that's why there's no lawsuits. I think it goes back to my basic question and I think we brought it up in the very beginning is how do these sort of cult leaders do it? How do they influence people? And I think that these were a vulnerable set of kids. They were 19. This leads up to a decade of Larry Ray having an influence over roommates. They bring other people in. I have my own theories, but I'd love to hear, how do they do it? It's kind of an extraordinary thing, isn't it? It seems for me that everything before Sarah Lawrence was practiced he was seeing what worked out, trying these different jobs, seeing how he could build up influence and work. But most of those people were adults that he was dealing with and also either criminals or in government agencies, like people who would be harder targets. And I think once he found these vulnerable group of kids that were not on the same level as him at all, it's just probably so easy for him that he just kept going with these people. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, too, if you're lost and somebody is saying like, hey, I have the answer for you, I'm going to take away all your fear and all your anxiety. Just rely on me. I'm going to do this for you. If you're lost and you're kind of desperate, I think that's very appealing. And I think that was the case with a lot of these kids. Manson had this ability as well, you know, to be this amazing listener and to really be a chameleon and change himself into whoever you needed. So if you needed him to be your father, he could be your father. If you needed to be a lover, he'd be a lover. You know, Manson was this remarkable listener and he really had that ability to hone in on what people needed and to become that. I think Larry did have that ability as well to be this amazing listener and to really make a lot of these kids really feel heard and you yeah, know, validated. And, he, and, 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 he, and he employed some techniques. I mean, like most good cults, I did a little research on this. He believed in something called QP4, which is quest for potential. And this was the brainchild of this like diamond dealer named Birnbaum come philosopher kind of thing. And the whole idea is like, basically, it's what Nexium did. I think it's what a lot of Scientology does. It tries to take human emotions and break it down into data points. So basically, it's like, here's the formula. We've got the formula and take this formula and things will get better kind of thing. And the problem is that it all sounds good in the beginning, but in practice, it's a mind fuck. Sorry, that's really what it is. And once he gets them into this apartment, I mean, then he really starts these kind of classic cult techniques with waking them up every morning with this loud music, teenage wasteland, and just such a weird 
choice of a song. Well, I mean, the whole idea of Teenage Wasteland is like, yeah, <laughs> I love this you song. guys are you guys are wasted, and I'm gonna save you, right? I mean, isn't that the message with that one? I think we should also add that he's totally hopped up on amphetamines like all the time. He keeps them up all the time. Like that, like sleep deprivation is another tactic he uses, but he doesn't care because he's on speed. And he encourages them to do speed too, but they don't all do it. And then he puts them in like this hot seat situation where like one person's in the middle and you have to confess and people would even make things up to get off the hot seat. You had to owe Larry something, you know, know, so it was an intimate story or so, you know, to the cause of your behavior. So what you told Daniel, you know, you play the ukulele because, you know, your father abused you. You play the ukulele, smash the ukulele and free yourself. Yeah, it's ridiculous shit. But it gets weirder and weirder. Plus, we have to touch on the whole idea of blackmail and collateral. This is another discussion. I think what a lot of these cults do is they want your secrets. They want something you're really ashamed of, whether it's like a photo or a video or something you know about somebody else that would ruin them. They want that stuff. And once they have that, they own you. So think about it. What would you not want to be exposed? I'm so boring at this point. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, (laughs) go ahead. You know, oh, my gosh, you're going to see my Amazon list that, you know, I have out there. (laughs) But seriously, I've got professional things that I couldn't expose. Oh, you have a sorted past. I do have a sorted past. But think about it. That's tremendous amount of power. According to the article in the cut, this is exactly what he extracted from people so that he could have control over them. Nixium did the same thing. In all of these cults, I think the main thing is that we all like to think like, I'd never join a cult. By the time you're in it, you're so far in it that you can't really even see it. Even if you come to the point of realization, like, oh, this is some things aren't right. I should contact my family or whatever. And then he already has this stuff on you. You can. It would be so scary. You wouldn't have a way out, it would seem like. And plus you're in a group where other people are going like, Come on, it's fine. I know it's a little weird, you know, in Daniel's case. And Daniel's an interesting person in this because at first he was really skeptical about Larry, according to the article. As time goes on, he gets further and further into this. He had questioned his sexuality. And then Larry is sort of having Isabella, who I think he has full control over now, seducing Daniel. And filming them and having people come and watch them. I mean, it's the whole thing is really, really. He's also a little sadistic because he does kind of just cruel things to to Daniel. Making him wear a dress. Or like penetrating penetrating himself with a dildo in front of everyone. I mean, that stuff is just, I feel like, just sadistic. But I think that eventually comes down to money and he wants money and and that's what he gets these kids to extort from their from, parents yeah. which is generally what you get down to with a lot of cults is isolation and then it comes down to money and these kids start going to their parents for the money and he would claim that they had damaged things in the apartment and that they owed him a bunch of money. And you kind of think like, well, why didn't these parents go to the police? And they did. And the police were like, look, we can't do anything. They're adults. Because, because mean, they're over 18. Yeah, they're adults. What are you, what are you going to do? You can say no to your kids if they ask you for money. You can't call the police and say, my kid's asking me for too much money. 
my dad would have called the police a long time ago. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and, and honestly, like Laura's a mom to a 19 year old. I'm a mom to a 14 year old. Like the horror of having someone have so much control over your child to the point of mom, you have to give this guy $20,000 or I'm going to commit suicide. That's the level you're talking about. That's the level of control, you know, and as a parent, you know, you're, you're, you know, it's terrifying because, you know, you think of drugs or it could be, it's some guy that she gets involved with that I don't like, but you know, you, you never think it's going to be that somebody has complete mind control over your child to the point of like, either you, you know, buy the Larry Kool-Aid or, you know, or I'm not talking to you anymore, you know, that, that kind of thing. And it's horrifying as a parent to think about that. I wonder how this came, I mean, the, the interesting thing too, is that if this cut article had never come out, this would still be going on. I mean, this didn't, yeah. this didn't come out because of the police or because of the school. This came out because of a journalist. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it, it would be interesting to know what, you know, what the backstory is. We don't know because, you know, I, mean, I guess it will all come out at trial, but. Yeah. And, and Larry is eventually arrested. He's, he's found in bed with Isabella and Isabella seems to be, to have been his, you know, kind of a, the, the true believer here. And we just do have to point out too, these are all allegations and they're all allegations made in, in this article you know, and, and, you know, innocent until proven guilty, you know, allegedly, I mean, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. That, <laughs> that just says allegedly. We always argue on here, you know, if we don't agree, yeah. always say allegedly. <laughs> and um, Isabella is actually under indictment now too. Yeah. I feel like that's a hard one. Cause you're like, how much is she a victim? And then how much is she a willing participant in these things but you know Sarah and I had this debate or not debate discussion prior to recording and I we were just both we were talking about it and it's like you know being a victim isn't a defense I mean it's a defense to a point but you know you can't be a part of a criminal enterprise and live off the proceeds you know for a decade and then be just like I was a victim I, I mean it'll be I, she this went on for a long time and and, it, and it'll, <laughs> it'll it'll be interesting to see how this how this comes out in a legal case too because if you think about it, there's probably going to be some people who are still in the Larry camp. You know, mm -hmm. there's going to be people who, who are not. There's going to be people who strike deals. So it'll be very, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens, what they can prove. Because, you know, he's also facing charges of having, you know, made a lot of money from prostituting. At least one of yeah, we people. we don't know who that is yeah. yet. I I feel that probably almost everybody will will leave him probably, but his daughter. I mean, Isabella was initially a victim, but if you're initially a victim and then you participate, now you're participating. Well, if you're participating and you're profiting, and I, that know. seems to be what she did because she may have been initially a victim, but then you know she stuck with him for another eight years. Yeah, and while other people were victimized and coming to like the realization that right, he was terrible I mean, person. 
it, you saw that with the Nixium cult, you know, where some of those women came in as victims, but then they basically victimized other women. So, you know, they're perpetrators right. as well. They and have to, they're responsible. They're responsible. I, yeah. I have a fame. I just feel like they, Isabella, they, that's what she's con- indicted on is pro- living off the proceeds and, and she, and, you know, hel- helping to extort the money. Right. So she apparently was involved with him in that extortion as that time. Cause she, you know, she stayed involved with him. Yeah. And I think, I don't want to jump ahead too, too much because in this too is a lot of allegations of weird poisonings and, you know, Larry would <laughs> accuse them of so- poisoning him and Talia also, <laughs> they both claim to have long-term effects from having been, po- I mean, the whole thing. Well, he just... kept he kept uh, records of um, he would have all of them write confessions, and he kept all these letters. Like he was so I mean crazy that he thought like this was ever going to help him. Like, did he think he was ever going to like get in trouble, and then he was going to pull out all these confessions, and anyone was going to ever believe this? Right. So he had them like write letters of confession to how like their parents had really only sent them to Sarah Lawrence because they were all like in on the conspiracy with Bernard Carrick to like ruin him. Yeah. So I guess the parents knew 20 years ago that their daughter was going to get into Sarah Lawrence. And so was Larry Ray's daughter. Right. Does that mean I can like, it makes a lot, it makes sense to me. Does that mean I can like predict my daughter will be 20 years from now and like make a conspiracy about what I can do with her in 20 years. Like it's so illogical. And like that Claudia was like, was sent there to poison him. And he still says he has long-term effects from the poisoning. Right. And, and I mean, Carrick in, in a quote, you know, when asked about Larry Ray, he's like, he's a psychopath, you know, like that's pretty much sums it up. You know, that's a, I'm sure like there's a picture of um, I'll put it on our Facebook page and it's Gorbachev, Giuliani, Larry Ray and uh, Bernie Carrick, which I'm sure Giuliani wants to like get rid of that picture for the rest of his life. Yeah, that I feel like that's almost everyone also with Epstein is like. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they come in my life and why I'm in a picture with them. I know, but Epstein was photographed with like everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Oh, yes. Everybody. Epstein was like, oh, Epstein and Oprah. Epstein and and Princess Diana. No, I don't think he was ever with Princess Diana. Sorry, Princess Diana. But like (laughs) Epstein was literally photographed with everybody. Yeah, he was. Absolutely. I know. Somebody just said, put the Menendez brothers uh, at the LA Lakers game up. You know, it's like another thing of like the Menendez brothers courtside at the Lakers oh, game. Oh, good God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's another picture. They were like caught. Yeah. Um, but yes, I'm sure Giuliani, uh, it's one of the many moments I'm sure he wishes he could change. I know. You know, I mean, I just do think it's like, I, my, my heart, my heart totally goes out to like the, the, the kids and and also though their their families their parents i mean that i feel like you can't the damage that was done to those families through through this is is pretty extraordinary i mean i i feel like it just wrecked in fact the um in fact santos 
who was one of the people and his two sisters who were both Ivy Leaguers, very smart kids. Uh, you know, they had come from like a working class family from Dominican Republic and they like they don't talk to their kids anymore. You know, as as you know, to the day, you know, from the date of like the, the cut article, they don't have any relationship with their kids. All three, you know, they're three kids, you know. I know, and their one daughter went to Harvard uh, undergrad Columbia Medical School and then dropped out of a residency mm -hmm. in Los Angeles to live with Larry Ray. Yeah. Wild. I mean, yeah. that has to burn. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think it would no matter where your kid goes to school, I don't think it matters, but if they leave for a cult, but I mean, that's just, he convinced her that like people were after her in, in Los Angeles and the long arm of the law, You're right. you know, that the LAPD might be able to get her to, because Carrot could reach that far. <laughs> <laughs> like, the police can't even like, it's hard for the police to get their man even when they know who it is. Why? It's so Why would they bother with like a, you know, 20, 20 year old med student, you know, like. Yeah, I, like what do they want you for? Right. <laughs> oh my like God. what do they care about you for? Like, why are you so important? It's so bizarre, but so crazy. I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's such typical. Did you see the Nexium documentary? Um, I have watched part of it now and it yeah. is so intense. It, it, it is, it's a total slow burn. And what I, what I kind of loved about that is that in the beginning, you're like, you know what, this sort of sounds like some good shit. Like, hey, what's, you know, what, what's wrong with this? Like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of Trump and, you know, they, they, you know, talking about the environment and self-improvement and, but, and it's like, it just goes way off the way off. The, it's like, so you have these good ideas that in sort of, in, I feel like in twisted, twisted minds or twisted hearts, they, they become really bad. So you start off with those good ideas and then all of a sudden you're getting two hours of sleep. You're wildly like having your calories controlled. You're branding your crotch with the, you know, with the initials of the cult leader and convincing other people to do that too. It's like calling people like master and slave. And I, I mean, you know, it, it's, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's like, Maybe there are good cults out there where they don't, where it doesn't There's end no up like that. There's no good cults. <laughs> There's no. I think I, I didn't really want to watch it at all. I wasn't interested in it, and I watched it and got hooked. I, I yeah. think it really does show you how how gradual it is and how it could be slowly kind of because, get, get because, anybody. Because all these people were like pretty like successful, like intelligent people. They were not, you know, these sheep. I think oftentimes like people, um, you know, people, people are looking for answers and that's what these cults purport to have. Well, they're all seeking know? something. I think that's what it is. All the people who wind up in cults, like they are all seeking something from a truth teller. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, that because, yeah. you know. They're not turned off by the word truth teller the way we are. Right. <laughs> if you have to call yourself a truth teller, there's a problem. 
that just gives me like, ugh. yeah, I, I just cringe. And I'm sure David Koresh called himself a truth teller. And Laura I'm sure Manson I, called himself a truth teller. After the podcast, I'm going to tell you the truth. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. It's like, <laughs> but it's, it's true. These guys all have like the same, cause it, it just, it, it interested me because the next same thing, it's the same patterns, you know, it's, the slow isolation, the physical, you know, the, you know, the sleep deprivation, the physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental, psychological, it's just, it's all the same stuff. But it doesn't start out that way. No, it's like a, it's like you a know. bad relationship. They never start out that way or you wouldn't go back, you know, right. it mm -hmm. starts out good and then it gets bad. Right. Right. There's like a little good that keeps you going back. Like right. Little nuggets of good. It, it But it's also not a one-on-one -on -one thing too you have other people in the mix who are going who are kind of encouraging each other it's like a group to, thing, to yeah. stay in or you're not going to know the answer unless you stay with larry because you know what do you mean you're against larry you must be the enemy that you know like it's it's this i, I can see all those kind of dynamics going on you know i wasn't there you know but i i think those kind of things come into play when you're when you're in a situation like that you know and talia apparently still supports her father she lives in north carolina now i believe and is a paralegal wow. and she still doesn't see her younger sister and she wants to and she wants to according to her twitter feed yeah which is inactive but still up yeah and she's on facebook well any final thoughts on this olivia i mean uh I wonder how long it will take, if ever, for all the people to be out of his control, or if he's going to be one of those figures that even in jail he still has. Oh, that's a good. That yeah, is that's a good, a good point. Quote. Yeah, like, Manson kept followers from jail. Yeah, mm -hmm. yes, he did. I bet. I I think that he's the type that will keep followers from jail. Like he's right. so pathological. Like he'll need that control even from behind bars. Like, I'm interested oh, oh. Uh, to watch the case unfold because I feel Me like too. we're the obviously the cut article was amazing and detailed, but I bet there's going to be even more that comes out as they prosecute these people. Yes, yeah, and, definitely. Uh, oh, I think you it's going to be details. Fascinating. Yeah. That's like that's when you want court TV. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. But also, just like legally, it's it's it brings up some very interesting questions about you know who's the vic you know who are the victims here, who are the you know who are the you know, collaborators and it does know. bring up interesting legal questions and like what point do you stop being a victim and start being a perpetrator? I mean, because yeah. it does bring, but I think it's going to be pretty juicy when that trial starts because, you know, all the, I mean, people are going to probably be faced with having to either testify or be prosecuted. No, it's true. And I wonder what, if any, like Sarah Lawrence's role is going to be in, in the case as well, or what, what the lie, but Laura thinks, you know, <laughs> that they've paid out huge settlements. We don't have any factual basis for that. Laura I think the all. lack of lawsuits speaks volumes because I have a child, I have a 19 year old. I guarantee if this was my kid and this had happened, I would be for, first of all, I would have camped out there. Mm -hmm. If my kid had a, if there was a, an adult living in Lily storm, I would be like camped out there but making a huge stink but i would be suing i don't believe in being litigious for no reason but this to me is valid yeah the school was clearly negligent to me and i don't 
think I don't believe colleges should be babysitters at all. But this was in the school's realm. This this apartment was on campus. This was in their domain. I mean, this they should have had they should have done something about it when it came to their attention. Yeah. I mean, why is he allowed to be there? And we couldn't even figure out, could we figure out how long he had we actually No, we couldn't figure out if it was a year or two. But I mean he was there a significant and a long a long enough a period of time that the Dean of Students Green was relieved when Talia graduated. Uh, oh when 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 Talia graduated and Larry Ray was no longer sort of an, an issue. issue. Right. So he was an issue. So, I mean, I it, I don't think that, that Sarah Lawrence could have stopped the cult. He would have just moved it off campus. But I think as a parent, I don't want to, I would have wanted more protection. Right. And I mean, this is clearly a cult. I mean, it's got all the earmark signs of it too. He, we've got, we've got somebody who has a significant amount of control over over these younger people. You know, he's he's collecting collateral on them to use against them. Yeah. There's physical abuse. There's sexual abuse. There's extortion. Uh, there is separating them from family members. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got all the classic classic signs of a, of a cult. But yeah. I think Olivia's point's very interesting about what he'll do going forward. I mean, he's yeah. not, he's still young. I mean, he could, he could, you know, I mean, imagine what he can do in prison. Yeah. I don't I mean, think his story is over. I agree. I mean, people like that can like amass quite a following in prison. You know, I mean, you can manipulate people. I mean, they're people like that, are, you know, their manipulation doesn't end, you know, I mean, they just go in and find new ways to manipulate and then they get like a little following in prison. And, you know, I mean, it's, I think, I think it will be interesting to say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the prosecution is keeping it very close to the vest, what they have. Yeah, absolutely. I even looked in New York, I'm a PI. So like I looked under like the New York, like to see if there were any civil cases or any superior court cases and I couldn't find anything under. Yeah, it's kind of weird how little there is, which is why I think it's like all been very like, I feel like when the cut article came out, they, they just kept it, you know, charged him and kept it very close to the vest. Yeah. But excellent journalism on, on their part. And yeah, yeah, I'm impressed with the cut. I, is, I am too. They're pretty, they're pretty ballsy. They are. Yeah. yeah. We've, this is the second time we've followed up on one of their stories. <laughs> <laughs> First one we can't mention. <laughs> That's a great story too, though. Um, anyway, but um, well, Olivia, th- this has been fantastic talking to you and, uh, you yes, know, about Sarah, just, Sarah loves this case because she loves to say sex cult. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, I'm, I'm glad I got to talk about a sex cult with you. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Hey, we sent you the t-shirt, by the way, these t-shirts. Yes, and you we're, know, we're, and so we're, you'll get them Thursday. So yeah, we would. And uh, we are going to try to learn TikTok. That's our next, our next uh, oh thing my, to tackle. Oh my God. And just sort of like, Incidentally, we have so many crazy things going on right now. Like we we have like our week last week was it, it was bananas. Like there was I don't I don't know. We we have follow up on cases that we've been doing. Like you know just 
just in a nutshell. So we covered the murder recording. I know we are. Oh. I, don't, I don't know. Do you want to hear all this though, Olivia? Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. We can't put this on record. No, the Jang thing. Yes, we can. Which? The, oh, the Jang thing. Yeah, okay. yeah. So we 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 covered. Um, we I thought co- you were talking about the bishop thing. Well, no, oh no. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that'll be later. <laughs> anyway, I don't mean to like. It's probably like a little off topic, and I, we're, we are still recording, but. We've got some exciting stuff coming up, put it to you that way. And one case that we worked on, uh, which was the shooting of a Yale student by the name of uh, of um, Zhang. What's, what's Zhang's? Kevin. Kevin Zhang, sorry. Kevin Zhang. So he was shot. Um, he was shot in January, right? Yeah. And, and so the guy who shot him has been on the lam since then, and he was just caught. So that's like, yeah, it's a huge thing. Like he was on the land. And like Alabama too. We thought he was in China. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, also yeah. probably a hard place to find people is Alabama. Nobody, I mean, he's, he's, he's better than China. Though, no, but he's Chinese, imagine. isn't he? He is. He's yeah. Chinese. So we assume he went to, back to China. He lives here, a, a town away from us. We went to his house. They had broken in the windows. And so we thought, oh, we went back to China. It's a long time to be a fugitive. He's been a fugitive for a long time. And where was he living in Alabama? He no, he was caught in Montgomery, Alabama, which you know I love the South, but Montgomery strange. But I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. I know was, random. I mean, he was pretty good at it because most yeah, people can't say his mouth. And now that's a I long mean, time. Yeah, that is a long time when there's like that big of a manhunt for you when you've like shot down a Yale student. And and New Haven. and it's and you know and the the victim was like he had just gotten engaged with his girlfriend. He was a sweetheart of a guy, like really. We're just really happy that like justice has been, justice will be served for Kevin. Yes, we are so, happy. But anyway. we're gonna we're gonna practice our TikTok game this week. I know. Any tips? I. When I started, it, it is strangely harder than it looks just yeah. on editing and figuring out how to like make stories and do them short and anything. And the ones I did in the beginning, I look back and cringe. So I would just say, make a lot of them, get used to it and just put yourself out there because someone's going to like it. Because yours look so effortless. I know. I just like, I watch them. I'm like, how does she do it so perfectly? I know. You always look great. Like you feel like fully there. Oh my God. And it's like, they're perfect. The seconds. I'm like, how does she do it so perfectly? I know. I love to practice. Yeah, absolutely. All right. You've inspired us. We're going to watch your TikToks. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> he'll, he'll be like, those remind me of my. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be like, oh, no, I don't know them. There are the befores <laughs> and the afters. <laughs> There's just, always feel like, just feel like they're old. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. Well, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. I love talking about this. Murder, murder.